the end of days. We find a very interesting concept at the end of the book of Genesis, when our patriarch Yaakov, Jacob, the last minutes of his life, called all his 12 sons, and he told them he needs to reveal a secret to them. And he said, I want to let you know what's going to happen at the end of days. End of days. Very interesting. What does it mean, end of days? And he wasn't referring just when a person dies, like he, he was about to die, and then what happens with the human being after he dies. But he meant an historical end of days. Like the, the world, we, we, the way we know it, how things happen day, day in, day out, they're going to come to an end. So Yaakov wanted to share with his sons when and how that was going to be. And we also find later on Moses, Moshe, in the last days of his life, in the book of Deuteronomy, a couple of times he also mentions to the Jewish people that there's a concept of the end of days and what will transpire to the Jewish people in that period. It's a fascinating topic, and I would like to delve into the topic, and this topic is going to include things like the Mashiach, like the resurrection of the dead, the concept of the world to come. I'm going to use uh, sources from the Tanakh, from the written Torah, from the Talmud, the Gemara, the Midrashim, and also from Kabbalah, the way uh, more contemporary Kabbalists teach us about these principles. Personally, I find this is a fascinating topic, and all the more so because we are now in this period of time. All the sages over generation, even already from the times of the Second World War, 70, 75 years ago, all of the sages say we definitely already entered in history this period called the end of days. So I would like to delve into it, but let me go, first give an introduction to understand what are, what are we referring to with the title of the end of days. At the beginning of the book of Genesis, actually the first word, the Kabbalah teaches that the word Breshit, as uh, in the beginning Genesis, really can be split into two words. One is the first letter, the letter base, Bet, and then the word Reshit. We know that the letters, they also convey messages through their numerical value that is given by the order in the alphabet. So the letter bet is the second letter of the of the uh, alphabet. Therefore, its numerical value, or is called gematria, is number two. So that in instructs, according to Kabbalah, that when God created the world, not only He created this world the way we know it, but it actually was a creation of two different universes or um, worlds. One is Olamazeh, this world, the world in which we live now but also the world to come. And I would like to explain what is the difference between them and what exactly are we referring to. Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato, a great Kabbalist from Italy, 300 years ago, he wrote many books and many of the sources I'm going to be using in these lectures are going to be based on him, Ramchar, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato from Italy, Padua. 
In his uh, Magnus Opus, in the great Mesilla Jesharim, the path of the just, at the very beginning, in chapter 1, he says that it's clear that uh, God didn't create the world only for life in this world. And he says, look at life in this world. I mean, there's lots of suffering and challenges, and people get sick, and at the end of everything, people die. So why God, which is the ultimate giver and a perfect God, would have created a world with so many challenges? To the extent and to the point that many people even doubt if there's a God, you know, through the Holocaust. Many Jews question the existence of God. How could it be? If there's a God, how could it be the Holocaust? So says Rabbi Mushehan Lutzato, it's obvious that God didn't create this world only for this world. But this world is a place where we grow as human beings, is a pre- the place that we're giving free will to choose to be a good person or a bad person, to become or not to become more spiritual. And then after we finish this period of personal growth, then we're going to go to a second dimension in which we're going to receive the reward of everything that we achieved through our, our own free will. And the second uh, proof that he brings that it cannot be that this world is the only existence. He says, look at the human being. We're not like the animals. They they only have the physical aspect to them. We have a spiritual soul. So why would God give us such a soul? And this soul is so big. According to Kabbalah, it's even bigger than the angels. Why would God give us such a huge neshama soul if it would only be for this world and for the activities of this world, like all the physical things that we do, eat and drink and get married and have children and work and go for trips and only physicality, then you don't need such a soul. So let me give you an example. Imagine somebody walking into the computer center of the NASA or the Google and says, hey guys, could you please use your computers for a minute? And people say, wow, this guy had to slip all the way to NASA, to Google. We have huge computer power. He probably needs something quite important. And they ask him, what do you need our computers for? He says, you know what? I forgot my telephone. I need to send a WhatsApp to my friend to let him know I'm going to be late today. They're going to say, are you crazy? You need the power of the computers of this place to send a WhatsApp, an SMS, or an email. It's what a waste of power. In the same token... Our souls are so powerful, so spiritual, so great, that if only to live in this world of physical existence would have not be a need for them. Rather, says Rabbi Lutzato, God gave us these huge souls because as we go through life and we choose the right choices and we build a higher spiritual level for ourselves, then through these souls that we were given, we're going to be able to experience an unbelievable level of pleasure in the world to come. So therefore, said Rabbi, Rabbi Lutzato, clearly, God didn't create people just for this existence in the physical world. And what I mentioned is called Olamazeh, this now existence. But really, this is only the place, as is brought in Perkei Avot, where we grow, where, when we work and we grow. This is the corridor to the palace, which is going to be after life in this world, in the world to come. However, we have to understand, and not to make a mistake, because it's really a, a bit confusing, when we're referring to the world to come, and as the word says, 
the world to come is going to come in the future. It's not yet now. It's not here. When a person dies, the soul goes to the world of the souls. And that's what we call it also the Ganadin, the paradise, when Adam and Eve were there before they came, before they ate from the forbidden fruit. But that is only a place where the souls wait until the end of this world and then the beginning of the world to come. That period of transition between this world and the world to come is going to start with the coming of the Mashiach and the resurrection of the dead and some other events that, please God, I'm going to go in detail to explain them. So we have to have clarity of these two different periods. One is when a person dies, so that person, his body gets buried, his soul goes to this, this spiritual, the world of souls, and they're waiting until the period where the Mashiach is going to come, and then the souls of the people that died, they're going to come back to their bodies. The bodies are going to be rebuilt. We're going to go into detail how and when and what is exactly that process of the resurrection of the dead. And then it's going to start the process of the world to come. So these are the two major epochs, times of humanity. And I just want to clarify also one more thing. Why is there a need of to say that there's going to be end of days and Mashiach is going to come and everything that I explained? What is wrong with understanding that, listen, we live in this life the, the way we know it, and when a person passes away after 120, then if he was a righteous person, he's going to go to the paradise. And if he wasn't such a righteous person, so, okay, I won't get into details, as we all know, there's such, such a concept of genome, hell, and things like that. But why do we have to say that history has to come to an end and Mashiach has to come and so forth? So, again, Rabbi Lutzato, in a different book called The Knowing Heart, that Tebunot, also has been lately with a beautiful translation uh, come out with the name the, the Knowing God's Plan by Felheim Publishers. He explains in a very deep, deep, deep Kabbalistic and philosophical explanation why is there such a need? And I mean, actually, uh, we find it, as I said at the very beginning, how in the book of Genesis, Jacob referred to his uh, sons as this concept of the, <clears throat> the end of days and also Moses. So he explains why is there such a need? Why, what is wrong with believing, let's say, all the righteous people of the generations from the past, uh, speaking about uh, Jacob or Moses or even more recent ones, Rabbi Kiva, and even in recent generations, the Chavitz Chaim, why is not enough to say that, listen, those people choose to do the right thing and they're now resting and receiving the pleasure in the Garden of Eden, in paradise? And the wicked people from the past and from the present, they, they got to, to, to suffer and to expiate their punishment. Why do we need to say that history has to, has to come to an end? And he brings a very deep explanation based on Kabbalah. And that is, that the pleasure in the world to come, it won't be just, first of all, not as uh, some people say, it's going to be any physical pleasures, whether it's going to be uh, beautiful women, 
or uh, wine or parties or whatever you want to call it in terms of a physical sense. And what even it won't even be an exchange of how many quote unquote points of mitzvot you acquire in this world. It's not that you go, oh, I have three billion points throughout my life of mitzvot. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to choose nice stuff as an exchange, as a reward of my merits. It won't be like that. So really, in a very deeper Kabbalistic philosophical way of understanding, the pleasure of the world to come is going to be the experience of the greatness of God. That sounds a bit abstract and a little bit uh, general, not, not clear. What do I mean by the experience of the greatness of God? God, when he created man, he created us not because he needed to create us, because God doesn't need anything, but because God is perfect and in his perfection there's a goodness. So the nature of the way how perfect being God operates is that because he's so good, he wants to always benefit others, give goodness to others. And I can give an example. Let's say you are somewhere and somebody comes to you and says, you know, I'm really starving. And you see the guy's really honest. He's really starving. Say, can you please give me some money or something to eat? So if for you, it doesn't make a big deal to give him a $5 bill, let him buy a sandwich, an hamburger. So you for sure would do it. I mean, if you see the guy is really starving and for you to give $5 won't make much of a difference. So any good person would take his wallet and give him $5. So since God is perfect, he's almighty, and he can do anything and everything, for God not to create the world and to give creatures the experience of goodness would be like for you not to give $5 to somebody else. So in a way, that's why in a simplistic way we understand that God created the world in order to give us, the creatures, the opportunity to experience an awesome pleasure. And what is that awesome pleasure? What is the biggest pleasure that we can experience? Nonetheless, that God's very, 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 the, 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 the greatness of God himself. That experience is the biggest and, and the most pleasurable feeling that anybody can have. So that is what God, God wants to give us. So he created us with the opportunity to experience that. And that is going to be the reward in the world to come. However, says Rabbi Lutzato, God has, as it were, many aspects to his perfection, many virtues. And in Kabbalah, all of them are described and defined on the titles of the ten sefirot, the ten attributes of God. But all of them being aspects, as it, as it were, of God, all of them are infinite. And we only can differentiate between one another in the way God shows them to us. But in God's essence, as it were, there are not divisions. God is one in every sense of the word. He's uh, all encompassing all elements of perfection. So every aspect of God, whether his kindness or his justice, anything of God is really infinite. And we are creatures, we're finite. So therefore it's impossible for us to grasp 
what are, are really those aspects of God? They're beyond us. He's trying to put the entire ocean in a cup of water. It just doesn't fit. So would be impossible for us as vessels, Kabbalistically speaking, as creatures, to be able to absorb and to grasp God's greatness. However, there's one aspect of God's greatness that is, yes, available for us. And that is the awesomeness of the principle that God is one. Because oneness is really something, says Avalutzato, that can be grasped and can be experienced, no, but it's inner aspect of what it is, but rather by negating the opposite. Oneness is a virtue that can be experienced when you realize there's nothing else besides the oneness, which is negating the opposite. So the opposite of oneness can be something finite. So God at the very beginning created that finite level of concealment of his oneness. And at the end of days, God is going to nullify that concealment and reveal to everyone that he is one. And that's why in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, the very second line, it says that the Lamb was was in a state of desolation and darkness. That is the darkness that God introduced into the world to hide his oneness and his perfection. And that lack of of revealing his oneness, that is what gives room for us to, first of all, have free will. But second of all, when God decides to reveal his oneness, that is going to be an unbelievable level of pleasure to appreciate some aspect of God's greatness. So explains Abeluzzato, if not for God putting an end to history and always having the aspect of free will as I described it initially, then even though people, once they die, they go up to, to heaven and whether they go to paradise or other places, but there wouldn't be a complete revelation of God's oneness there still will be a little bit of a sense that there's different levels and there's concealment, and even some people wouldn't really believe completely that there's only one God and one force running everything. So because God wants to give humanity a full experience of his oneness, and he's the only one running the show, that's why he wants to put an end to history. And that's why there's a famous verse, we say it in the Aleno Le Shabeach at the very end, a verse from the prophet, God is going to be king over the entire universe. And in that day, he's going to be one and his name is going to be one. Meaning to say, when God decides to put an end to the period of Lamazeh, of this world with a free will, then he's going to send a messenger with his Mashiach. I'm going to speak Please, God, in these uh, lectures, in more detail, the concept of the Mashiach. And then he's going to put an end to that concealment of his oneness. He's going to reveal himself to be one, to be running the show. At that moment, we're going to be able to grasp initially some level of God's greatness. It's going to be unbelievable pleasure. Then our mouth is going to be filled with joy and a song, but then 
from then on it's going to start the period of the world to come which is going to be an eternal uh, uh, inner trip as, to, as it were more of, more of a revelation of the greatness of the oneness of God so that is what God wants to share with us and the only way to achieve that is to put an end to history and that's why says Rabbi Lutzato uh, we find again in, in Jacob Avinu and Moshe Rabbeinu this concept of the end of days, that God is going to put an end to history and he's going to reveal that behind everything that happened was always running the show. And just to understand, and with this I want to end up today, the, the level of concealment. What, what, what can we appreciate nowadays of the reason of the why things happen to us is not even a drop of water compared to the ocean. I mean, that's mind-boggling. What is the proportion, what is the size of a drop of water compared to the ocean? It's almost nothing. And that is how much we can perceive nowadays of the reasons of why things happen in life, whether in a personal level, whether it's on a global level. You know, people ask questions, but why Corona for two years? And why these things happen? And why the Holocaust? And why this and that? And why people... It gets sick, and, and why people die when they're young and all that. So nowadays, we cannot perceive not even a drop compared to the ocean. And when Mashiach comes, and in the world to come, God is going to start revealing the reasons of the why. And it's going to be unbelievable. If you like movies, if you like a suspense series, series of uh, TV or shows, and you really can't wait to see the next episode. There's going to be nothing compared to the world to come. When God is going to start revealing to humanity the whys of everything that happened, as I mentioned, it's going to be unbelievable. And behind that great experience is going to be the experience to know that only, there's only one God. And He was running everything. And that is the pleasure of experiencing the greatness of God. And that's why, as I said there's going to be an end to history. So please, God, join me. Let's go through this in more of a detail. Uh, how long, for how many years, history has to run? What are the different stages? What does it mean the Mashiach? When, who, and how? Then the resurrection of the dead. When and how is going to happen? Why do I say they were close? What are the signs that were close? What are the prophecies? that already happened and the ones that are about, about to happen, what should we be preparing for, and then the different stages once uh, we start in the process of the world to come and how everything is going to um, uh, be, be happening stage by stage, stage by stage. So please, God, let's, let's hope we can do this journey together. <laughs>